0: Okay, and we are recording now. How you doing, mate? Not too bad, not too bad. It's
1: been a long week. Yeah, it has. Been a, a pretty stressful week as well, actually. Yes, it has indeed. Yeah. So, shall we roll straight into it?
0: Okay. After last week's raging success, <laughs> <laughs> we're back for round 2. Sweet. So, what's in the news? I figured this topic was a bit more apt to talk about this week considering it's kind of, it's been something that's been ongoing for a while and also it kind of ties in with the name coconut talks a bit better I, as well I guess okay let's hear it um so I'm not sure how aware you are of the farmers protests that have been going on in India for, for roughly the last I, I
1: want to say seven months or something so I mean to be honest I was only aware of this in the last sort of two three weeks when some kind of larger names in the western world started commenting about it and had some backlash yeah um so i've done a little bit of kind of research on it but i mean you're probably gonna know more than i do uh
0: maybe well i guess well we'll find out (laughs) i guess we'll find out in it all right so basically the indian government has introduced three new pieces of legislation which deregulates the farmers market if you
1: will yeah in three separate ways so do you, do you wanna talk about what the market looks like prior to these three bits of legislation first okay yeah so prior to these uh
0: bits of regulation c- regulations coming in the market looks a- basically like the farmers who, who grow the pro- uh, produce bring it to these wholesale markets called mondays where they sell it to the traders themselves at a established price which has been fixed by the government Yeah. It's called the MSP. I I want to say it's a minimum selling price. That's correct. Yes. So it
1: establishes a benchmark for these products to be sold. So I think, yeah, and I think the way it works is that this is only for some select products. It's not for all products. It's for the main ones like rice and wheat, I think. Um, But I think the way it works is the government basically says that they will buy it for this price. And so obviously the traders can't undercut that because... Then the farmers would just sell it to the government. Yeah,
0: essentially. But there have been there have been other issues that have happened with these things. Yeah. So it's not a perfect system. There have been collusion that have
1: got happened by the traders themselves within these markets. And I think it's worth pointing out that the government d- deregulated this to try and help the farmers. That was the intention behind the government doing it so yeah even though the farmers are protesting this isn't like the government turning on its people it's the government arguably trying to do the right thing and regardless of whether it, it worked out that way um yeah i think i think there was good intent there to be honest i do agree with you i think the intention
0: behind the government was to do the best thing for the people yes but as we're finding out it does it's looking more and more likely that it hasn't actually been
1: worked out for the farmers in their favor yeah i mean i am personally for the changes um okay i think deregulation as a general principle is a good idea although i w- what i would say is that in isolation when you've got a kind of uh, a somewhat corrupt system there needs to there's a there's a way of doing things basically and um just deregulating everything without any kind of um thought about what the effects will be short term um i think is kind of a dangerous game um but realistically i think i think in fact do you want to talk about the three then uh, changes that have been made and then we can get into if they are good ideas or not
0: yeah so i'll get into them
1: one of the first
0: bills that was passed was the farmers empowerment and protection agreement on price assurance and farm services bill so what does that mean okay so essentially all that means is that farmers and traders have to have a contract when they're getting into an agreement and
1: this is because they're basically not buying it within kind of the the market and the government regulated market and so a contract needs to be in place between the buyer and seller Yeah. so this in itself I don't see a problem with I think the reason why it's getting some hate is because the buyers are big corporates with le- their own legal teams the yeah. um, farmers are relatively uneducated and so I think the scare is um, that there's loads of clauses put into these contracts that farmers don't understand which basically means that the corporates can then say, oh, you didn't meet the quality standards per the contract. Therefore, we're only going to pay you half of what we agreed. Yeah. So, but I mean, this is not an issue with the principle. This is an issue with having a really uneducated demographic.
0: Also, the, the another problem that kind of exists is that most of these farmers are producing their crops on loans. So right. it's not like their own money, if you will. They've taken out loans to produce these crops and they pay the loans back, take whatever profit they get. And it's kind of a cyclical thing where they kind of repeat this.
1: Are you not pro the idea of businesses that are bad failing? Because uh, my biggest issue with this is the fact that, well, my biggest issue with being against these new regulations is you're basically saying that, You just want... It's protectionist, isn't it? It's basically saying, no matter how good or bad your farm business is, we will make it survive. And I don't think that's a good thing for the consumer. I do have to
0: agree with you on that point. Um, If a business is bad, then it is doomed to fail and it should be allowed to fail in order to let other successful businesses thrive. With this law here, you do have the issue where these corporations can do come in with their legal teams and can probably end up squeezing out these small
1: uh, small-time farmers essentially yeah i mean i i agree to some extent I, I, it's a difficult situation because it like if we're saying that the buyer and the seller is equally well educated with an equally good legal team then there's yeah. no issue right so the issue is us basically saying that the farmers are just poorly educated well in which case there should there would be a market for lawyers to basically well for farmers to band together and pay for a lawyer to represent them all to issue yeah. them with standard contracts like the market can easily fill the role of the government like if i was a lawyer and lived in india i'd be thinking okay farmers you each give me kind of 1% of your um sales proceeds or whatever and i will write you contracts that will hold up in a court of law to ensure that you don't get ripped off like it seems like a yeah. pretty like the issue is not contracts the issue is well don't agree to bad contracts, effectively. Yeah. It's so, signed dodgy
0: contracts. So do you think like a, w- a plausible workaround for this would be
1: farmers unionizing? Yeah. Um, or just somebody filling the mark. This is what I was saying in terms of like, the issue is potentially bringing these laws all of a sudden, um, and not kind of giving a, like not explaining to the farmers kind of what's going on, um, in the sense of if you had a lawyer, who was going to say, okay, you, you none of you can afford me, but if I take a small amount from everybody, I'll basically issue a standard contract that you can use, or a couple of different variations. And if you use these contracts, then you're basically watertight in terms of you're not going to get ripped off. Well, yeah. you can use, like, at the end of the day, it could be a relatively standard issue. So it's plausible that a lawyer could make enough money to make it worth his while to do and the farmers could all afford it right because it's like a standard contract effectively because this is basically what the government were doing previously um and so i don't see why like you don't suddenly need to educate a population of farmers you just need them to be willing to spend like a nominal sum to get a decent lawyer yeah um so i think i think this is issues overblown i also don't know how much of um like impact this has had or how much is kind of farmers assuming it's going to be bad like I, I don't know the kind of the economy of india well enough to really comment on that but um to me it sounds like the the law the uh, the government of past is not a bad law the fact that corporates are more flexible in terms of using the law to their advantage rather than farmers that have done the same way um and are basically in a very archaic industry yeah um i don't think we can really blame the government or the corporates for that in terms of the industry being
0: quite archaic i do agree with you because if you look at what the revenue was right um when indy started farming right yeah um so like 19 if you compare the farmers revenue from like 1960 to like well like 2020 yeah i'd say i think Fifty percent of the GDP accounted for farming in 1960, right? And in 2020 or like 2019, I think it was, it only accounted for 15. percent So,
1: what is India now doing that's contributing more to the GDP? Um, it would have to be information se- information services, wouldn't it? But I th- thought so. But I I don't think that's a bad thing. No, like- I don't think
0: it's a bad thing either. Sorry, I don't think it's the fact that the farmers' revenues have like decreased. I think it's the fact that other sectors have increased their revenue. Yeah, so which has and uh, I mean
1: diluted the amount of money the farmers are bringing into the GDP of the country. Yeah, in percentage terms. Yeah, and I mean having fifty percent of your GDP reliant on farming is probably not a good thing because a famine could just wipe out fifty percent of your GDP.
0: Yeah, um, and that has happened in the past loads of times: famines,
1: droughts. Yeah, and just kind of over farming, I think. Has been yeah, a, a common one. Do you want to then get
0: into the um the second kind of the second bill that's come about is the farming produce trade and commerce. So promotion and facilita- facilitation bill, which essentially creates the open and unregulated trade spaces
1: outside of the wholesale markets. Yeah. So basically, the APMC is kind of like the government-regulated market where there's these um, minimum selling prices. Yeah. That basically props up certain types of grains. So I think it's ma- I think it's rice and wheat predominantly. It's rice, basically the wheat ma- and cotton. I think. Yeah. So it's the the major kind of. Um, yeah things that are farmed on a large scale so Uh, sorry yeah and that
0: uh, sorry in terms of that it does make sense because rice wheat and i think cotton as well are three of the biggest crops that are produced in india Mm. and as far as like crops that you like use for food rice and wheat are by far the largest that the country produces yeah on a grand scale
1: so the the logic behind the system previously was that individual small farmers they can sell to the consumer and so that they can usually get a a reasonable price for their goods. Whereas um, large farmers aren't selling to the consumer, they need to sell to the markets because if they're they're selling to corporates, corporates are more likely to obviously rip them off than an an individual consumer would. And so, yeah, these markets were basically um, giving a minimum selling price to these larger farmers. And so this bill now that's basically saying people can trade from outside of the APMC kind of government regulated market it means that more and more people are going to start buying and therefore selling outside this market, which is going to mean that basically the large farmers are going to have a tough time because all of a sudden they're going to have to compete on price rather than getting this minimum selling price. Yeah. But I mean, once again, I kind of feel like I can understand why it's going to hurt for the big farmers. At the end of the day, they might have high costs. And then all of a sudden the price of say, rice goes down and so they're operating at a loss but i mean then your business model isn't very good this is a
0: crop that they've been producing for a long long time in the sense that they probably have like an infrastructure set up in place for this to be for this to be their main like kind of cash crop i guess
1: well i mean i think they they sell rice because yeah you're right they've done it for a long time and it's it's easy and because yeah. previously there was a minimum selling price i mean i definitely think this is a kind of rule that if you're going to make you should phase it out but for me it's, it's quite simple like in a free market system, the cost of rice will be exactly what it should be. It will be somewhere, um, well, it will be what are what's the maximum amount customers are willing to pay and what's the minimum amount that farmers are willing to sell it from. Like the supply and demand curve will meet somewhere and that will be the price. Yeah. I think deregulating it means that you hit the price that the market thinks it should be rather than it being artificially inflated.
0: I, I do think you make a pretty good point there. But I think the issue comes from like when all of these three new regulations are being kind of implemented together. And I, I think you'll find out like that in the next, the, the next bill that was passed, which
1: essentially gets rid of any kind of... The next bill basically stops. Uh, well, no, it allows people to um, store and hoard grains. Yeah. So previously there was a limit on, so traders couldn't just buy loads because they had loads of cash at the time and then... When they've got loads, they can kind of um, flood the market with it to reduce prices, so that they can buy more. And then, when they um, have loads of stocks, then they st- kind of slow down to bring the price up before they start selling it off again. Yeah, and it's basically market manipulation. Like, I think this last law is
0: the thing that is the law that kind of is probably going to cause like the most problems.
1: So, I once again think that I mean it potentially could, but it doesn't need to. I don't think that I think the law. And repeating it so that you can hold as much as you want is sensible, to be honest. I mean, I, I do think in this country, for example, there should be a limit to how much of anything. Like, after a certain point, should you have to spend your money? You're not allowed to keep your money in a bank account? Because that, that, that's essentially what this is saying, isn't it? It's saying that you yeah. can't um, hold on to things. I personally think that if the traders are going to hold on to things, well, at the end of the day, the farmers are the ones that make it. So the farmers could just hold on to their produce.
0: But the farmers do need to meet their... Cost that they've kind of incurred with the uh, with growing these crops right i think that's the issue and also storing all of these crops the infrastructure that's in place kind of really allows the big players to have the
1: facilities to store these crops well i mean currently because they're the ones current like well because previously there was no incentive to for farmers to store crops because they could always get a minimum price for it yeah um but i mean to be honest i think this is an example of a flawed system becoming less flawed, but obviously there's some growing pains and farmers that have become reliant on the flawed protectionist system are going to kind of suffer. Uh, the The little man won't suffer. The consumer is going to win because if anything, prices will go down. Yeah. The individual um, farmers will not suffer because they'll carry on selling directly to consumers. Um, big corporates will not suffer. It will increase uh, external investment, um, foreign investment into India because now you've got more of a competitive free market, which to be honest, probably one of the reasons why India wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, so the only people that hurt are basically the large scale farmers. Well, I mean, maybe this will mean that they have to sell off a lot of land and become a small farmer, which I mean, I'm not saying I, I appreciate it. It's not what a big farmer wants to hear, but it doesn't hurt people in general at all. So, I mean, I, once again, I really don't see this as a a terrible crime against farmers. I I, I see this as quite a positive um step to be honest um in india's politics i think
0: the abolishment of the msp i can't i can't really agree with that because i think there should be a set price that the market should kind of respond to you're hoping that the market responds to the set price and What what's the,
1: what's the right price
0: whatever the consumer feels is
1: right well exactly that's why the market should dictate yeah. but you're, you're saying the opposite you're saying that well, an msp imp- implies that you don't believe that the the market can set the right price.
0: Yeah, but what I'm saying is, when you bring in all of these big corporations, there's a chance that they do end up storing uh, storing all of these crops and essentially starts manipulating the market to their advantage.
1: I I agree. There's an issue with um. So one of the issues with these APMCs was that there was collusion amongst traders anyway. Yeah, and I I, I think you should bring potentially legislation to prevent like in this country, for example, with anti-competitive behaviour. So in a, in a world where the traders are not colluding, which yeah. they, they clearly shouldn't be colluding because they are competitors. If you and I are traders, right? And we're both hoarding. Well, if you're hoarding and I decide, actually, I'm going to start selling, then the price is not going to go up, which is the point of hoarding because I'm selling, which means you're going to lose out. So your hoarding behavior is going to hurt you. And so you're not going to hoard, right? So the only way uh, traders decide to hoard is if they all basically band together and say, right, let's all hoard. Because remember, the farmers could also decide, okay, if um you guys are going to hoard, then we're just going to sell directly to consumers. So this is what I mean. It's like the only people it hurts is farmers that are farming on such a large scale that they just physically cannot sell to, to consumers. The, yeah. But then if I was a farmer, I'd be thinking, okay, well, rather than just continue investing in producing more and more rice, I'm going to produce in infrastructure where I can, like, for example, instead of hiring more farmers to farm my land, I'm going to, hire a team of people that go to markets and sell directly to consumers you know like whenever there's a change in regulation whether it's more regulation less regulation whether it's kind of a good change or a bad change you're going to have to adapt and i think the issue we have is people saying well if we carry on doing exactly what we're doing now this is going to hurt us i agree but this could also completely cut the traders out of the market potentially yeah um and so like this really could work out very well for The farmers if they just kind of embrace the change Um, and I I think the overall effect of this is going to be nothing but positive um, for the people that embrace the change like you're basically having a system where you're going to be paying I think less tax because it's unregulated. I think I was reading somewhere. Yeah. So that should also increase prices for the farmer. Well, at least they're going to keep more of the price. Once again, like they, they basically have as much kind of control as they want, right? And and also, yeah. you're going to have some price volatil- volatility while people are messing around now and the rules have changed. But with time, the market will kind of... Correct le- it, Yeah, correct it will correct itself it, you, and eventually it'll, it
0: will reach some kind of equilibrium. Yeah. I do agree with the things you've said big time farmers, they should be looking at ways to expand their infrastructure and start selling directly directly to consumers. But I think the issue kind of arises with the fact that most of these farmers are really old people, so right. people in their fifties and like whatever, fifties, sixties, yeah. they're used to doing this for so long in uh, how they've been doing it that I think they're just not willing to embrace the change.
1: I mean, yeah. that's fine, yeah. but they they suffer. Like, they, yeah. you, you don't I have mean, to embrace the change. But, like, you also can't say, well, because I'm stuck in the 1960s, everyone else should be. Like, by that logic, we would say, well, we shouldn't have invented the internet because all the old people don't know how to use it and they're not willing to learn how to. Yeah, uh, yeah I do agree with you. There, there are states which have done this, right? So,
0: there are states which have uh, created deregulated markets. Yeah. And it hasn't worked that well for them. So, what, what have the issues been? So... Uh, in the state of Bihar, they did create deregulated markets and the farmers there are amongst
1: uh, still among the poorest in the country. Is Bihar not one of the places that produces a lot of rice? And Basically, it's one of the places that there are a lot of big farmers producing the kind of main core crops. So this is who the the new laws would most affect? Uh, no, I think you're thinking of Punjab and Haryana. Okay.
0: Because... Um, the farmers in Punjab and Haryana, they're actually among the richest farmers in the
1: country, as in uh, if you compare the earnings oh, that they make. Of course they are, but like, what's good for the big farmers is not good for everybody else. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, like The issue is is that if we look at statistics and say, well, like, if we say that the um, minimum price for grain is a million pounds, of course the farmers living in the States are going to be millionaires. The issue is, is that everybody else is screwed. And so whilst I think that a lot of farmers will potentially suffer from this, at least initially, the consumer won't um, because the price is no longer being artificially increased to to guarantee the farmers a profit. Like, at the end of the day, if your business is not profitable in a deregulated market, you've got a terrible business.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with, I agree with you on that. If in a dereg- deregulated market, you're not being able to turn over a profit, then you essentially have a really bad business model, don't you?
1: Yes, and and if regulation will somehow give you a profit then in my opinion, that's nothing but corruption in your favor. Um, let's have a look at what actually happened to farm, uh, farmers in Bihar. Yeah, sure. be interesting.
0: OK, so what happened in Bihar was that in 2006, the markets got deregulated by their chief minister, right? Right. And it essentially Korea got rid of the Mundis and created uh, new open free markets. Yep. For the farmers to start selling to the traders and essentially what ended up happening was the msps weren't being abided by so if it was let's say 1900 rupees for a kindle of rice yeah it was being sold for 900 to 1000 rupees per kindle in the state yeah
1: so i mean to me clearly the farmers going to suffer but um that's because you've previously been inflating the price um farmers would have incurred costs knowing that they're going to be able to recover these costs because they're going to be selling it at an inflated price. And then all of a sudden, the government's brought, like, basically deregulated the market. So now all of a sudden, these protectionist inflated prices don't exist. And so, um, yeah, many farmers are going to be operating at a loss because they've already incurred these costs. They've already got into debt. And now all of a sudden, their revenue is going to be lower. And clearly that's going to hurt. And I don't even necessarily think well, I really don't think just doing it overnight is the right thing to do because like clearly um, you can't blame the farmers for building a business that was viable when the rules were what they were. However, what I would say is that now rice, for example, is at a price where it should be, like is at the market price. Yeah. And I would say that if the price is just exceptionally low to the point where rice is no longer a viable product to grow, well, all that tells me is that you're growing too much rice. Like eventually some players will leave the market and then there'll suddenly be a shortage of rice and then the price of rice will suddenly go up again. And then, like I said, you'll meet an equilibrium where now the right amount of rice is being produced.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is basically what's happened. Um, A lot of these farmers have ended up um, having to move states because they can't afford to meet however much money that they need. And what's more interesting is the fact that they've kind of migrated to Haryana and like Punjab
1: But but of course, if you're a farmer, you would do that. Like if if there's one place where it's basically a fair, free market and one place is going to say, we're going to just pay you extra money. Of course that you're going to go to the place with extra money if you're a farmer and you can just move states that easily. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the right way to do it. In fact, I think quite the contrary. So would you say that instead of introducing all of these regulations like in one quick swoop, as you will, it would have been better to kind of implement it like bit by bit so, sort sort of. So, I would implement all three together, but what I would do is I would phase them in. So, I would say that um, the amount of grain you're allowed to store will increase by, say, 10% every year, and then it will become completely limitless in 10 years' time. And, yeah. and similar things with, um, so, for example, with the contracts, I would, for example, have a, a government-issued contract which is kind of a a standardized contract that can be used as an example and so the basis so farmers basically have something that they could initially um go to right like they're still operating outside the kind of apmc remit however they have examples of contracts that can be used that are relatively watertight and then they can obviously just edit them slightly depending on how much they're selling and what product they're selling like these just seem like really easy things the government could do that would kind of mitigate a lot of the um the issues uh so yeah so that's what i would do so out of curiosity what law would you have like brought in
0: first if you if you were the prime minister of um india what law would you have brought
1: in first if i was sitting on my rightful throne yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) um well like i said i kind of think that bringing them in all together is no bad thing i just think like, bringing in extremely diluted versions of each one is probably the way to do it. Okay. And phasing them in probably over something like a decade. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, Dumas, I actually agree with you. I think that's that would have been the more sensible thing to do, because I have to say that as a culture, Indians are pretty hard-headed, as in not exactly open to change. Is that a generational thing, or do you think that that exists in all generations in India? Um, I think it's a generational thing, to be honest, because... I would definitely say that if I'm looking at my family and uh, my parents
1: and myself, I'd say that they're way more opposed to change than I am. Right. And but is that because you're just kind of younger or is that because you've spent a more amount of time, for example, living in the West? Um, I think it has to do with both. Right. Because
0: there, uh, there are things that I completely disagree with, like with my parents. Right? Okay.
1: So like religion would be something okay. where we don't see eye to eye. I, I to be honest, I think that's shared uh with the West in the sense that of course the East tends to be more religious um per capita than um the the UK, for example, or, or other yeah. places in the West. However, it's also generational in the sense of that if you look at my grandparents' generation, most people were probably Christian. Um, whereas if you look at like now, um sort of my generation, most people are probably would they describe themselves as not religious?
0: Yeah. I mean uh, an example would probably be that my parents want me to go to church. Right. Right. Whereas I probably wouldn't really give a shit if my kids wanted wanted to go to church or didn't want to go to church. Yeah. Like, yeah, those kind of things. It is a generational gap. So you've got all of these farmers who are like in their 50s and 60s. Right. Yeah. Um, And in kind of forcing them to um, adapt to these changes, if you will. I mean, I, I do agree with you. I mean, they kind of have to. Yeah. Or the...
1: I mean, I, I, I guess, yeah, once again, it comes down to if you do any change overnight, whether it's positive or negative, there's going to be a huge negative effect for some people, right? Yeah. Um, everyone's working based on the current rule book, and then you just change the rule book. Um, and I think, I guess, phasing it in would also mean that if you phase it in over, say, 10, 20 years, then the oldest and most archaic and most arguably rigid minded people would not be affected because they'll have retired or died by the time that the rules fully come into place. Yeah. Um, but also, it means that. Everyone can suddenly adapt. Like if you know, for example, the um, minimum selling price is going to go down by 10% each year or 5% each year or whatever, then you can like plan your crop yields accordingly, right? Um, yeah. Whereas you just cannot do that if all of a sudden they say, okay, in five months time, this is what we're going to do. By that time, you've already sown the seeds
0: potentially. In all of this, my main issue has been with how the government treated the protesters.
1: Right. So this is something that I've seen obviously kind of headlines, but I don't really know the ins and outs of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah because obviously i have to think india being the largest democracy on the planet yeah right the fact that the protests have actually remained completely peaceful yeah uh from the protesters side i don't think there's been any kind of violent incidents no yet.
1: i know that in some states that they've blocked over basically blocked basically every main interstate road yeah um which obviously i'm not saying that that calls for sort of government violence in fact i'm Pretty pro the idea of a small government in general, so I definitely am not okay with um, kind of government overreach. But what I would say is that, well, if they're kind of gonna sit there and basically stop every other industry and everybody else from functioning as a society, like I I don't think um, the farmers have a god-given right to screw everyone else over, basically.
0: Yeah, but um, my issue has been with how the government's cut off internet access to these farmers. Yeah, I
1: think that is just such overreach um like i mean you you can't be kind of pro like free market and then be okay with government basically stopping free communication
0: yeah i mean i think it, cutting off something like the internet in my opinion right it goes like more it goes beyond like overreach it kind of that's goes, tyrannical yeah it's tyrannical and it goes into like an authoritarian oh dictatorship, i h- i 100% right? agree like, it's the kind of thing you'd expect from a country say like china yeah and russia as opposed to india which is touted to be you know the largest democracy on the
1: planet yeah housing one billion people yeah no i i totally agree um i i think um the way the indian government are handling the kind of protest side of things i mean i think the protests are silly like i don't think they're they're evil in any way i think they're just silly i don't think it's um uh, beneficial for the farmers to protest the way they are rather than trying to adapt to what's happening that being said though i think what the government is doing in terms of things like shutting off the internet it's just terrible um because you can't have reasonable rational conversations and yeah. try and rectify the problem if you're just going to basically stop anyone communicating
0: yeah it's not the first time the indian government's done this either another thing about it I they did this exact same thing um when they removed well they stripped of its um, autonomy and why did they do that um, so basically, Kashmir kind of works in a way. Com- a comparison that can be drawn is how Scotland and Northern Ireland and Wales work, like Hong Kong and stuff. Yeah. So uh, not Hong Kong. I'd say it's more like Scotland, right? Right. So it's separate. Yeah, th- they have separate like laws and like things for their for, for themselves. Okay. Just because of how the geopolitical factors have like worked in that region for like decades. Right. Okay. Right. And uh, I think this happened like last year. I want to say 2019 or 20 uh, 2019 probably, where Kashmir got stripped of its autonomy and okay. kind of essentially made into what can be described as a extra large prison. Like the whole state kind of got remi- they they had internet access removed from them. Yeah, and the high level politicians in there were kind of placed in the house arrest.
1: Gosh, that's so
0: terrible. yeah, I guess uh, kind of like what's happening in Myanmar right now.
1: Yeah, it sounds very similar.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, actually exactly like what's happening in Myanmar, except for the fact that the coup was carried out by the Indian government, which is ironic because it's the actual government.
1: Yeah, so what was the, was there public outrage and when, when did this happen? There was
0: a lot of public outrage and um, this, ha- this happened, I think, two years ago.
1: Was there much? Because I don't remember it. So was there not much um, kind of chat in the West about it? Um, there was... A bit of chatter in the West, but I think
0: again, like with this whole farmers thing going on, I think one of the main reasons that the West is kind of keeping quiet is the fact that the West is obviously trying to reduce its reliance on China. Yeah. And after China, probably the second largest labor market, if you will.
1: Oh well, I mean, I think I'm not sure, but India is neck and neck with China now in terms of population. It might have even overtaken.
0: I think it's probably overtaken. Yeah. Yeah. So being the largest democracy and also having one of the largest labor forces. I think it's kind of in the West's best interest to kind of keep mum, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the solution definitely isn't just going guns blazing. Um, Yeah. But I think there's a way... I I didn't know, for example, like, you know how celebrities and stuff in the UK are going crazy about um, what's happening now in India. I didn't know if there would be a similar response to Kashmir. Um, I think there was, but I think uh, the whole thing, uh,
0: Kashmir incident was kind of subdued and how was it resolved? Like are people. Still oh no, it wasn't resolved. So right. right now, are they still living without internet? Or um, there are still like bits of. I'm pretty. I think there are still bits of Kashmir but still don't have internet access. Right. Um, it's fucking crazy if you think about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's weird because, I guess if if the uh, Indian government originally granted them a to- autonomy, then you could also argue: is it the government's? Are they within their remit to, like, claim that back? Like, I don't know. Like, obviously, Scotland is its own country. Yeah. But. The UK obviously does, like, I, yeah, I don't think the UK could, for example, just abolish the Scottish government, right? Um, like, I I don't know the political, like, sort of structure of Kashmir in India. Yeah. Prior I mean, to yeah, I mean, India I'm, going in guns blazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm no expert either, but um,
0: as far as I'm aware, like the whole s- situation with Kashmir is quite, it's
1: pretty, it's pretty iffy. Yeah. So, so how do you see? Sorry, going back to um, what's currently happening. How do you see this with the farmers playing out, like, in the next year or two?
0: I think the laws aren't going to get repealed, and the farmers are not going to stop
1: protesting either. So it's going to be a stalemate forevermore?
0: It's it's going to be a stalemate for, I think, the next
1: year or so. Well, I mean, the good thing is, if all the farmers are protesting, and they're not producing rice, then the prices of the rice will go <laughs> <the> right <rye> up. Because <laughs> uh, I'd say
0: Punjabis, right? They're one of the most strong-willed people, like, group of people like, in India. Right goes back to like, the freedom movement. Like, everyone's you know, ready to ride Gandhi's dick. But <laughs> the kind of unforgotten faces, if you will, Yeah. a lot of them are Punjabis okay. and a lot of the Indian army is made up of Punjabis as well. So before like the freedom struggle for India, where a lot of it was peaceful protests and yep. peaceful movements. Before that, there was a lot of violent protests and violent movements, right? Yeah. And a lot of these were headed out by kings and queens and like Punjabis all of these kind of people okay so culturally there's kind of st- they are really strong-willed yeah and also I think they're also pretty edu- educated as well so when the deregulation happened in Bihar there wasn't that much of a public outrage right because but they were like less educated yeah.
1: and less strong-willed people
0: I'd say less educated I'm not about like strong willed I, right. I don't know about strong but
1: so I assume Bihar they were not Punjabi is that right yeah okay
0: well yeah and also i guess it happened in within the state itself yeah. okay instead of being like a, a nationwide thing yeah so these factors are going to play out quite interestingly i guess is my point
1: yeah it, it, i mean it, it's definitely going to be interesting because like the government's
0: definitely overreached um their powers in terms of how they've responded to the protesters there's no doubt about that in my mind
1: oh i i totally agree right. based on what i know i totally agree Yeah.
0: Uh, meeting peaceful protesters with tear gas and, like, batons and all of these kind of things. Yeah, I
1: mean, you're just asking for it to escalate further, aren't you?
0: But um, why do you think, like, the Western countries have, like, remained mum about this?
1: It's a difficult one. I think, actually, the most obvious one is, and kind of probably the boring answer is, well, because we've got a lot going on right now. Yeah. And, obviously, COVID's happening. The last thing we want to do is kind of start getting into other people's business um and i I think that's the most logical one and also the fact because we don't need to like people haven't made enough of a shout and scream about it that has like urged for example the uk government to act and it's not gonna the uk government are not going to win votes over their response to the indian issue and to be honest i think there's more to lose than gain from, from the uk's perspective in the sense of we can get told off for kind of interfering with other people's business um so but there's not much upside like there's not going to be a oh the uk saved the farmers but there could e- easily be a narrative of oh the uk's once again getting involved in foreign affairs i think that's uh the obvious kind of reason but to be honest i think the big one is covid the government's kind of got its hands tied and the last thing they're thinking about is are farmers getting paid enough for rice in india yeah i think that's a fair enough um assumption to make yeah, but I mean, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. It's it's a shame, really, because obviously I would say, oh, India is really going down the kind of right direction in terms of deregulation and free market economics. But then, that paired with a kind of like author- authoritarian government, I mean, it's just not the right way to do things. What
0: I'm kind of more interested to see is, like I said, in the Indian government has been going down a more and more totalitarian like route. Yeah. Right. Um, how it's going to pan out
1: in the next election when it happens. So do you want to give me a kind of rough idea of what Indian politics looks like in terms of the major parties? And It's a fucking mess, mate. Right. <laughs> but
0: um, essentially there are, I'd say, probably two, three major parties, right? And what kind of uh, political views do they um, okay? Stance? So the current ruling party, which is the BJP government, pro- I'd probably say they're more akin to a nationalist party. So and so, pretty conservative ideals. Pretty conservative uh, extremely religious okay as in their mm-hmm. ideals are rooted in um hinduism yeah hinduism if you uh, if you want to kind of go down that path
1: right and uh, but are they quite um economically sort of f- pro-free market neoliberal i don't know about that right actually. i'm only making that assumption based no. on these
0: new rules see the
1: thing is these new rules weren't proposed originally by the uh, by the current government right so, so what's the so we, i understand the kind of the social leaning, they're extremely conservative, religious. What is, is their sort of economic leanings? Um, economically, I'm, I'm guessing it's just pushed to kind of bring India forward into the 21st century. Or So do you think they're more kind of protectionist and say pro these APMC's? Or do you think they are kind of more about deregulation?
0: Given the current rules that they've passed, I would have to say they're
1: more about deregulation. Right. right. So what about the other
0: two parties? The other two parties, the Congress party is just a Congress party. And so, what are they like? Um, they're more secular. Okay. Tick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, big tick. And they're also probably more. I want to say they're more educated than the other parties. Right. Okay. But one of the biggest issues that the Congress party has faced has been uh, nepotism. Right. Because with the inception of India, yeah, the current part, the you can kind of draw the lineage of the party down from like the first prime minister. Right. So the five, uh, the first Prime Minister's daughter became the next Prime Minister, and I think her son became another Prime Minister. Right. And his wife was the ruler of the Congress Party. Her son and their son is now the ruler of the Congress Party as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of ex- almost expected that from India, based on the class system, which is kind yeah. of nepotism in itself.
0: Yeah, um, it's one of the dirty secrets of India.
1: <laughs> dirty secrets of India extremely classist yeah i mean it's interesting how like the west don't really comment on that you know like we're very quick to say oh look there's some kind of discrimination or prejudice in the uk for example which is one of the most benevolent free and tolerant societies on the globe but then for example india which is definitely not considered to be like a bad country let's put it that way um yeah like it's not like a north korea for example but in terms of things like just day-to-day racism or classism like nobody criticizes india for that but like it's obviously way um way worse in that respect than say the uk yeah i mean similarly like when i went to ghana i mean like i'm more ghanaian than my auntie who's completely nigerian yet I was discriminated against for being like less Ghanaian than her just because of the color of our skin. And so like, I would have to pay more money to go to the zoo, for example. Really? Yeah. And I mean, like I don't really care that much. Like at the end of the day, like they're pretty poor. um, And so like, it's still cheap for me, (laughs) (laughs) but like at the end of the day, like that was blatant racism. Like it was completely based on the color of my skin and yeah, I was charged a different fare, but like, I'm not expecting everyone to make a fuss about it, but like, yeah, it's. Yeah, to be y- honest, I, uh, I kind, I agree with you on this. Um, I remember when
0: I had gone to like the Taj Mahal, right? Yeah, and they had different prices for foreigners and like Indians, right? Compared to like.
1: So I mean, so you know, if even in places like. Um, tenerife you know like if you go to the theme park there it, there's a price for locals and there's a price for everyone else but i i'm actually i think that's fine i think that's fair enough and the logic is is that obviously the people the locals are pretty poor because like there's not a huge amazing economy in tenerife right like yeah um but there's loads of wealthy people because pe- either people are there on holiday or they're there because they own businesses in a tax haven yeah um so i i get it but that's like just Tenerifeans get the free price. And even other people that are Spa- Spanish, they still have to pay the full price. Yeah. That's very different to saying, mm, you're a bit pale, therefore you're going to have to pay the higher price, you know? Yeah. But coming back to it, I think most societies
0: have some or some kind of like classism.
1: Of course, I, I agree. But yeah. I mean, I would say that um, yeah, but, in but, the but, in the UK, for example, I,
0: I like I don't even know what my class would be. Oh uh, Yeah, I mean... I meant like degrees of like varying classism, sorry.
1: Yeah, no no, I would I would agree with yeah, that. Yeah. But well, I guess you'd probably be like middle class, wouldn't you? But why? I mean, I like I've never I've I've always worked. My parents always worked. Like what would make me middle class rather than working class? Maybe you're working class then. You know you know but, but that's my <laughs> point is like where yeah. like what is the line? Yeah.
0: I mean, the lines are pretty arbitrary, aren't they?
1: Yeah, but but I don't I don't think that um like class really impact i think like i think money makes a huge difference in the uk yeah in terms of like what schools you can get into but even that there's a lot of outliers, at- and I, th- I think social mobility in the uk is relatively good yeah do you know what social mobility is like in for example india do you want to explain what social mobility is yeah so it's basically how easy it is to move say from one um socioeconomic kind of standing um to another so in a place where you have perfect social mobility. If, for example, you split the population into 20% increments based on like what wealth they're born into, you'd expect in say the bottom 20%, 20% of them would end up in the top, like when they grow up. 20% would end up in the next quart, uh, next quintile, um, and then 20% would end up in the bottom, and so you'd basically have a perfect spread. And so it's basically the logic that if you were born into a, a rich household i was born into a poor household we both have kind of equal chances of becoming either a rich household or a poor household okay. when we kind of grow up and get our own jobs so social mobility is a, a a very positive sign if you've got high social mobility that's a very good society to live in
0: uh yeah i'd say india has really low social mobility right
1: because the chances
0: are if you if you're born into a household where you're earning like 20000 rupees a, uh, a month or yeah. something you'd you'd still probably be earning like 20 to 40k a month. Like, right. Uh, as in your kids would. Yeah but if you were in a family that was earning let's say a uh a hundred thousand rupees a month. Yeah. There's zero chance that your kids
1: would be earning twenty thousand rupees a month. Right. So yeah, I mean you'd expect that kind of nepotism and uh social mobility yeah. are gonna be inverse of one another.
0: Yeah. Uh I yeah, I'd say like nepotism is something that's pretty rampant in like Indian society.
1: Right. What, what would I mean? your kind of way be to solve that issue?
0: Uh nepotism
1: yeah and one sort of social mobility i suppose so like how would you stop kind of rich people and sort of people born into privilege being guaranteed the top jobs and people that aren't born into such a way like having absolutely no chance
0: education is a big factor i agree um how it works in india is that you can essentially buy your way into good universities right okay um i don't know if if that's i don't think the same here is it not no it's not it's based on grades yeah it's based on grades right you could have some. You could have a student who uh, has been having extremely good grades, right? Yeah. And you have these entrance exams to get into the good colleges. Yeah. The student might pass it, might not pass it. But if it's, even even if the student doesn't pass it,
1: they can get in if they pay enough. Yeah. Right. Sometimes. So I guess that is kind of like direct discrimination. Um, in the UK, I guess you could argue that well, rich people can pay for a better primary education and secondary education like private schools and then they have a better chance of going to top universities so i don't doubt that but it's not as like blatant as oh i just pay to go to cambridge yeah um like i know students who
0: have like done like medicine and things like that right who have paid for uh paid for places at uni right and i'm talking like paying 75 grand 100 grand gosh as in pounds yeah not like rupees
1: because yeah, that'd be 10 quid, right? Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, paying like 75,000 pounds and 100,000 pounds to get
1: a medical like college, right? And then, so presumably, that really compromises the level of doctors that India would produce if they're just basically getting sub rate people to do it because they're bribing their way in.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is essentially a bribe, you are bribing your way into the college, and obviously, I don't know how the college practices work, but if the college is you know getting a 75 grand donation from a student's family yeah as opposed to a student who passed the entrance exam there is a high chance that they would probably go with the student who's making the donation yeah i mean of Cause, course yeah because yeah you'll still need to get pretty decent grades to get in to it even if you have to pay for it right okay so it's not completely yeah, it's not completely like corrupt but but people on the fringe of like
1: can i get in can i not can just pay
0: yeah so like if you've got if you've Scrape the pass Let's say like 60% And you can pay for it You might still You know Manage to get The seat
1: ahead of someone Who's got 95-99% On the exams Oh shit I didn't realize <laughs> Yeah yeah. I mean I guess If it's a private company Sort of like Private university I kind of feel like Oh it's fair enough Like at the end of the day If someone's paying me For a tuition I'm not going to just Accept students Because they're free Do you know what I mean Like if I was going to yeah. choose someone Like I offer Offer a rate You know Yeah But yeah No in terms of like The good of the country Then yeah, yeah
0: corruption in india is just so rampant right yeah like in this country like you'd expect corruption to not you don't actually
1: see it in like every levels of like society yeah i mean i I saw a really good uh kind of thing i can't remember what it was where it might have been a film a long time ago where basically an american and a mexican an american accuses mexican of being corrupt and the mexican basically says well we're both corrupt mexicans are just honest about it and like i think it's so true like there is corruption in the uk but unless you look for it and you kind of know what's going on you're not going to see it whereas in yeah. other places for example india it's like way more transparently corrupt yeah yeah i completely agree well, you could argue that transparent corruption is actually less corrupt
0: yeah well <laughs> i mean <laughs> corruption is corruption
1: but that's probably a good place to uh end it we're on around an hour so if you got to this point in the uh podcast
0: thank you for listening thank you for listening to to idiots voice their opinions <laughs> basically <laughs> well till next time bye d- guys bye